Mech Pilots Online Battletech Manuals Online Long-Term Memory Offline All Systems Bungled Initiating Bungletech Podcast In our ninth deployment of Bungletech, my spheroid co-host Michael and I take a journey through our favorite Battletech things as we walk through a comprehensive list of our most loved, well, everything. Return to our battlefield outcome report with the cautionary tale of a Jenner 2C that thought it could, but really, really couldn't. Stand tall and proclaim how we recently became conscious of our consciousness role mistake errors and read a sample from the emotional short story, Undefeated, written by Giles Gamage. Strap into your harness, mech warriors. This deployment is gonna get bumpy. Primary Objective, Podcast Topic Segment, Initiating. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of the Bungle Tech Podcast. I'm once again joined by the stupendously sensual Michael. Say hello, Michael. It's me. Hello. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. Michael and I are going to talk through our favorite battle tech. Insert category here. A random list that we made of our favorite battle tech things, and we're going to discuss them with you. And here's what I would like you to do as we're discussing it. We've created a survey in which we list those questions. And we want to know what you... Insert your name here. ...think. So ideally, ideally, it would be amazing if as you're listening to this podcast, you pop open that survey and fill out things as we're chatting. That would be so sick. The survey is going to be open till October 15th, 2023. And we are going to review the results in episode 11. So please insert your name here. Join us on this journey of Battletech favorites. Yeah, make sure you, you get in there because for once we don't have someone else joining us on the, uh, on the podcast and we're feeling kind of lonely. So, you know, we'd really appreciate it if you insert your name here could fill that out and join the Bungle Tech family. Yes, join us. It's a malfunctioning family like most families. But we make it through together. Let's start. So the first things we're starting with are the most obvious things, our favorite mechs. Michael, I have to know. I have to know. What is your favorite light mech? Well, I, I think this might actually be a bit of an upset for you. I assume that you have a second sheet of your guesses for what I've answered for all of these. And you might be thinking, Michael loves those ravens. And this is true. I love the idea of the raven. But unfortunately, it feels kind of bad to play. And I don't think I've ever had a good time with a raven on my side. So I'm actually going to go with the Valkyrie as my favorite light mech. That thing is surprisingly vicious for light little mech and it's just a blast to have on my lance every time so various varieties of valkyrie my favorite light mech how about you mr nathan what is your favorite light mech well mine's completely predictable by most people my favorite light mech is the jenner and i'm sort of cheating 
because I'll also say the Jenner 2C. Because it's the same thing, it's just an evolution of the Jenner. I was going to say, how do you pick your favorite Jenner? Well, they're all pretty similar. (laughs) (laughs) So picking one is sort of like picking another. But I think it's the same thing, like you said, with Valkyrie. To me, a Jenner is just always fun to play on the table. Regardless of any situation, I think it always has a use. And I I just love the little guy. Love it aesthetically. I love it from a function perspective. I just think it's a great little mech. You love it from a romantic perspective. Oh, yes. I would cuddle up to that thing. And it would keep me nice and warm because it's so toasty. Just like any lover should. (laughs) Keep me up, baby. How about you? Insert your name here. What's your favorite light, Mac? All right, Nathan. One size category up. What is your favorite medium, Mac? This was actually the hardest choice. Despite me saying I like playing medium mechs, I wonder how many medium mechs I've actually (laughs) played. And it has to be the Hatchetman. I love the Hatchetman in particular. I love the variant that was showcased in the Battletech Hairbrain Schemes video game, the one with Infernos. Oh my god. Get close, cook you, and then chop you in the head over and over again. That's like my dream media mech. But there are a few ones in the standard game that are great too. There's one with a Rack 5, for example, which I think is really sick. Yeah, I, I can remember facing your your hatchet men at various occasions. I can't actually remember ever being hit by them, but I do remember them being on the battlefield. Yeah, they're not the best mech for sure. <laughs> but I love them, what can I say? How about you? I also like a kind of bad mech. I really love the Blackjack BJ-1. I know it's not great, and I don't love it for like sort of meme reasons. I just legitimately think that it's a neat mech. And even though it's sort of done dirty by the rules, AC-2's extremely uninspiring on the table. I like what the mech does. I like the sort of long-range fire support role. And... I have taken down a summoner with a blackjack just plinking away at its exposed gyro over the course of like three rounds. So it can do work. It's not the most threatening thing on the battlefield, but I just, I like the mech. I, I think it's a, it's a fun design. I, I like how it fits in the world. Yeah, that's an iconic Michael mech. That, that would have been my guess for you for sure. Yeah. For sure. No surprise there. Yeah, no surprise. What about heavies? On to the next weight class. This is where I get I get really, really boring. I like the Marauder. It's a cool-looking mech. I like the, the design of it. I like that it sort of feels like a, a military vehicle. It's not too humanoid, you know, with the, with the, the uh, digitigrade legs and the gun fists and the extra turret on top. I... I like it. I like its positioning as a command mech, sort of like the the big thing that your lance is built around, and that's what I usually do with my Marauders, is it's the big thing on the team that everything else is supporting, so I really like it. I know everyone likes them, but it's a good mech. <laughs> I just like it. It is an iconic mech. It's a fine bottle of Chardonnay. And you, Nathan? Your, your heavy mech? Well, funnily enough, I was surprised when I made this list because I thought there was going to be way more clan mechs. But this is my only clan mech, actually. And I was almost choosing an inner sphere mech. But uh, the Mad Dog. I love the Mad Dog. I love how it looks aesthetically. I love its variety of armaments. The SRM variant where you can like pack on Infernos. 
Think it has four SRM6s? Ooh, that is dangerous. Uh, just a lot of fun with that mech in general. And God, it's so pretty. So pretty. Fair enough. I'm not one for the for the clan mechs, but it's it's a solid mech. I'll I'll, I'll uh, I can get on board with that choice. All right then. I bet I know what your assault mech is, Michael. What is it? So I was I was extremely split on the assault, and I almost answered the Marauder too, because it's a bigger, beefier Marauder. That's what I thought you were gonna answer. But actually, I. Th- think it's the night star which i know is not that's oh. not like a radical like deviation or anything it's you know one one marauder-esque or another marauder-esque mech but i think the marauder 2 isn't that exciting to me it's just sort of a bit beefier version of what the marauder already is and i'm not like a huge i'm not just looking for like bigger and beefier i like the night star as you know, it, it fits with the sort of doctrine I like. I love it being this big thing that overmatches everyone else in one thing, which is shooting stuff far away. And when there's a night star on the battlefield, you have to change how you're going to approach things because it's a it's a serious threat in a specific range band. So when when I when I need an assault mech in a lancer, I've got enough tonnage for it. I Usually pick the Night Star because I, I think it fits my doctrine better. Night Star plus a Marauder, fantastic. But the Marauder 2, eh, I, it's just not as exciting to me. Plus, it's another like command mech. It's got all, all the things I love about the Marauder still in the Night Star. Love it. Yeah, it's a cool mech. It's good. It's sort of like an assault, the unholy merging of a Marauder and a Blackjack, and then bigger. Like a Marauder and a Blackjack. And then that bred with Marauder for like two more generations. Yes. And you got the Night Star. Yeah. And it nice. got freakishly huge at some point in breeding. Maybe a Marauder 2 came in there. <laughs> Snuck in. Big Bertha. Now, what do you like for assaults? I, I really don't know what to expect from you here because I can't actually think of the last time I saw you piloting an assault. Yeah. In general, I'm not a big fan of assaults. But my answer is clear. And this is a little bit controversial because this mech is not liked by the community. But Shrapnel and I, we know this is the best. The Mauler, baby. I love the Mauler. It is just, oh, those shoulder pads. Those (laughs) LRM shoulder pads, man. When I first saw the Mauler, when I was playing MechWarrior 2 Mercenaries in the olden days on PC... Remember seeing those shoulder pads? And I'm like, shoulder pads are so badass. This mech has PPCs. It has LRMs. It has AC2s. I don't care about those. I'll just dump those for more LRM ammo. That's perfect. Give me that more LRM ammo. Yeah, I love the Mauler. Even though I can understand people's arguments saying it's not necessarily a very good mech. I mean, there's always better mechs in the Battletech universe. But I just love the variety of weapons it brings to the table. And I love the aesthetic. Ooh. Unfortunately, in the end scene of uh, MechWay 2 Mercenaries, the end cinematic, which is super epic, you see a Mauler getting blown up and it like face plants in the ground. <laughs> I remember that moment. I'm like, my Mauler, no, my Mauler. <laughs> yeah, it broke my heart. Broke my heart. But you know what? I'm actually really curious about what... Insert your name here. Thanks. 
let us know. I know they're a huge fan of assault mechs. They love those big stompy things. So <laughs> I think most of the demographic that listen to this podcast will probably agree, Michael. <laughs> People like stompy mechs. Okay, jumping away from the mechs. Your favorite non-mech unit type. So this one, this one's a bit tough for me to answer because I, I've not been playing for as long and haven't really played anything other than mechs on the battlefield. Flitted a bit with like artillery, but even then it was artillery launched from mechs. So I'm just going on what I think I'd like. And I think I'd like tracked combat vehicles. I like your your down and dirty, basic frontline stuff. I like doing a lot with few resources. So I would really love to try just a, a fairly conventional force of tracked fighting vehicles maneuvering around a battlefield with conventional tactics. Maybe toss in some hovercrafts there for like recon vehicles. But, you know, just build a, a very like down to earth force. Cool, cool, cool. And what about you? My answer is a bit vanilla, but I just, I just love the base elementals. Elementals are so badass, and the base small laser SRM2 variant or machine gun variant, either way, they would be so terrifying in real life. I just love how they're often portrayed in the stories. Yeah, elementals are so, so, so sick. To well, be an elemental warrior, man. Elementals are kind of goofy. Well... To each their own, Michael. <laughs> Some people just appreciate muscle more than brain, and I'm one of those people. That that will be a, a special mission one day is my mechanized platoon versus your elementals. We'll see who wins in a game of no mech battle tech. Actually, that probably is a bad well, it depends no, it actually depends on the terrain. It's all about terrain, I think, in that situation, yeah. Terrain really matters for standard vehicles yep that's the only thing that gets them other than that they seem to be superior <laughs> but just the the ground man the ground gets them all right okay we're, we're sort of switching away from units on the field we're now getting into the mechanics of play your favorite physical attack type michael i like that you're pretending as though there's like a any particular structure to this the, the questions are sort of just assembled in whatever order you thought of them. <laughs> no, I structured them based on my logic. That you only gave me one correction on order, man. I assume that meant it made sense to you. Uh, I've, I know better than to question you. But, uh, <laughs> anyways, okay. Physical attacks. I like your basic kick. That's my, my favorite kind of physical attack because usually if I'm physical attacking, it means something has gone wrong with my strategy and a kick is a good way to sort of take that tempo back, hopefully get them on their ass, their mech ass, and I can get out of there. So I'm, I, I would like to kick people in most cases. Kick's good, man. Good old reliable kick. I don't know why I always visualize it as a shin kick. Just like, Kicking the other mech right in the shin. That's the only way I can ever see it. I mean, a lot of mechs wouldn't be able to kick much higher than a shin. You know what we need? We need a knee. We need a knee. And then mechs with, like, the backward knees can knee backwards. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> and then you could combine the knee with the grappling technique. Then we could have a, a Muay Thai-based mech. And then that would be my favorite mech regardless what weight class. I don't think this would be as fun to play as you were imagining it would be. I'm making a house rule, baby. 
<laughs> Another house rule. All right. So until you get your your new uh, knee fighting style uh, accepted as core rules, what is your favorite physical attack? What do you think I'm going to say? Uh, it's going to be either a hatchet or a death from above. I declare death from above, baby. Oh, no. <laughs> He's coming right for me. What will I do? He might be able to hit me, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the truth of it, but I love DFA. I think it's so cool. I remember playing the old Megware 2 video games and trying to death from above enemies, hoping that it would do some damage. as like nothing, pretty much. Uh, but, oh, God, I've always loved it thematically. And I just love that you have to declare it. And Michael knows this because we play games whenever I... I just I have so much fun relishing in it. Moving my mech up and then saying, I declare death from above. Even if you miss, that epic moment was there and it existed. It does create narrative tension. Yeah. Yeah, I love and it. And I'm, I'm actually going to say, well, yeah, I, this is probably the right answer. I actually think that pushing might have been in the running or should have been in the running because you attempt to push a lot <laughs> or at least try to position yourselves to push people because you love the idea of shoving someone off a cliff and watching them plummet 15 stories into the announcer's table. Yeah, even in video games, man, if I can kill someone by shooting them or I can kill them by pushing them off a cliff, I will find the way to throw them off the cliff. <laughs> that way, technically, I'm not killing them. It's like nature. Nature's killing you, man. I just, it's cause and effect. Last game, you were trying to push my Marauder into the bottomless pit area of the map. Yeah, that was a horrible miscalculation I made with the DFA. <laughs> I can't believe I misread that on the map. Oh my God, but it somehow worked out. Maybe it didn't work out, but I mean, it somehow gave a favorable result, even though it was a completely foolish decision. Anyhow, that's in the past, <laughs> Michael. The next DFA will surely work. Physical tax aside, your favorite weapon, good sir. This is a toss-up. I really want to love the AC2. I really like what it does. Unfortunately, you know, autocannons kind of suck in the rules. Uh, and the AC2 probably sucks the most of possibly any autocannon. So I think I'm going to have to go with the LB10X. All the LBXs are good, but I think the 10 size is, is the perfect size for it. I like my ballistics. I like my autocannons. The LB-10X is extremely solid. And the flexibility of switching between ammo types is extremely fun to me. I, I love picking my shots every turn to balance between the solid shot dealing significant amounts of damage at all sorts of ranges versus the cluster shot, which hits more often but does cluster damage. I, I really enjoy playing it. And not just because forcing people to sit down and watch me resolve seven pellets of the, the LB-10X hitting different locations gets some enjoyment out of making everyone else suffer, but also just because I really enjoy like getting to make that tactical decision and watching my two ammo counts. And it's just a, it's a fun weapon to play with. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That, that's on your brand for sure. If only there was a, there was a Blackjack 1 that came with two LB-10Xs. That'd actually be a terrible idea, though. Blackjack's not, not sturdy enough to carry those. Just but, sit in uh, the back. Just sit in the back, chill. Uh, you got to be real far away in a Blackjack. A Blackjack's best 
best position is at artillery ranges, if we're honest. Install the top torso on top of a tread of artillery. <laughs> and then you have, like, first you have an armored Cormac. Second, you have your vehicle that you wanted to try. And third, you have your ideal weapon. That's, that sounds like the dream for you. There a you weapon go. to surpass Metal Gear. Two guns on tracks. Never before has a weapon like this existed. Turreted guns atop a tracked body. And a head. What will they think of next? Yes. It's revolutionary. <laughs> All right, what's your favorite weapon? This is hard. Is it? It is because... I think it's actually Streak SRMs. Okay, that wasn't on my bingo card, but all right. And I think it's just because it's so nice having a gun that you only expend heat and you only expend ammo when it's going to hit, and it's good at fishing for criticals. That allows you to change your, your tactic, right? Because you can jump in, be more aggressive than normal with your heat, knowing that some of your shots are going to miss. You're not going to generate heat. That's awesome. I think, yeah, I think streaks are, are pretty good. What did you think I was going to say? My money was on machine guns. And machine guns are close. I could have also seen you saying flamers or Inferno LRMs. Yeah, Infernos are close too. Yeah. Those are all in the mix. Those are all in the mix. It might have been Arrow 4s, but I think you've ended like <laughs> five friendships by deploying them on the battlefield at this point. So Arrow 4s are my favorite weapon to end friendships. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. They're really they're a strategic weapon as yeah. much as a tactical weapon. You know, when you want to remove someone from all future games, you arrow for them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Battletech isn't just about on the table strategy. It's about real life strategy. It's about playing the player. <laughs> <laughs> playing the player, hundred percent. You know what? I'm really curious about what. Insert your name here. Thanks. Fill out that yeah. survey. What folks. is your favorite thing to terminate friendships with? <laughs> Maybe we should put that as a bonus question. <laughs> Next question: favorite ammo. Favorite ammo. Well, I mean, going with the LB10X, it's got to be the uh, the canister shot, the cluster rounds. I basically think of it as part and parcel with the LB10X. Like one of the biggest selling points of that weapon is the fact that you have this ammo type. It's extremely solid. I don't think it's overpowered in either way. There's not a, it's not that you would always take this or never take this. You usually want a chunk of each, in my opinion. And I find it really fun to engage with that and pick what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, there's tons of, of autocannon ammo types I would love to love, but all the conventional autocannon ammo types feel too situational for me like most of them have extremely heavy drawbacks probably they're worried about them becoming like the one ammo type everyone plays with but in my opinion they end up too situational too expensive to bring i don't think i've ever fielded one of the other ammo types cluster shot for me this was also hard the mech bay podcast they got me on it and now i can't deny my love of smoke lrms Oh my God. It's what I'm smoking, baby. All night long. And I think the reason I love it so much is I love how LRM5s can be useless in a mech. And then you give them smoke LRMs, then all of a sudden it changes the application. And now you get this guaranteed cover. It's cool. I love smoke LRMs. So sick. 
I got to agree. Like, even though I don't enjoy playing against them, they're exactly the sort of thing I would love. There aren't a lot of things you have at your disposal that you can, like, change the battlefield with. So, yeah, okay, fair enough. Good answer. That's right. I only have good answers. (laughs) Haven't you been paying attention to the previous eight questions, Michael? All right. Favorite weapon fire mode. This is a this is a weird one. This this feels like a question for you because <laughs> you you love the weird advanced rule alternate weapon fire types, and I generally don't bother. So I'm going to go with my favorite weapon fire mode is rotary auto cannon firing in a five shot burst. The statistically correct decision. I see. Okay. Okay. It's just right. It's just right. For myself, you're right, it's all based on the advanced rules. And once again, I'm split. But I have to go on rapid-firing machine guns. Not because it's good. It's really not good. It's quite horrible. (laughs) But the concept is so cool. To people that don't know how that works, basically, when you attack with your machine guns on rapid-fire, you roll a d6 per machine gun, and that's how much damage it does so if you get a six your machine gun does six damage or rather six shots of that machine gun okay but it burns three times the ammo and it costs the heat of the six shots when normally machine guns are zero heat now it actually is six heat so if you have a piranha has like eight machine guns or whatever and you rapid fire them all there's a very high chance you're just going to nuke yourself (laughs) But man, is that a nasty alpha strike to get on a piranha. Woo! Yeah, intense. You say that it's bad, but I don't know. Like, machine guns are a pretty marginal weapon without that, and I definitely don't like getting rapid-fire machine gunned, but I do think it it sort of puts them on the map as as a viable weapon in mech combat, so it's not that bad. It has its place. I think if you didn't have the ammo consumption of times three... Even if it was just times two, it would be okay. But if all of a sudden you do six damage and you're burning 18 ammo, ouch. Not that we have an issue with running out of machine gun ammo, so that's... I was going to say, is that a problem you normally have? Because I usually just try to dump my machine gun ammo at the beginning of the battle. Well, and now with rapid fire machine gun, you don't need to. You can just run around (laughs) dumping it (laughs) out the guns. Dumping it into my enemy. Like intended. Like intended. They gave me this ammo for a reason. All right. I'm very curious about this next one, Michael. What is your favorite design quirk? This is another one. I've, I've been saying this a lot, but this is another one that I'm, I'm divided on. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's the design quirk that my head tells me is my favorite, and there's the design quirk that my heart tells me is my favorite. Yes, heart. Not head. Not head, Michael. Heart. So... My heart tells me it's the illegal design quirk, which allows you to have a mech that does not have a valid design, but it may break down spontaneously as a consequence. It's a terrible thing, and I don't believe it should be in the game, but I love it so much, and I love the idea of your mech being an illegal mech. (laughs) Yeah. Really, in terms of things I've actually played with, it's going to be variable range targeting. I, I like my decision-making, I like my knobs, 
And I think variable range targeting is is super cool and it's got a cool feel in the game of being like, I'm switching to long range mode for a minus one bonus, or I'm switching to close range mode for a minus one bonus. It's again, it's something it's something fun. You have to decide the turn before what you're going to switch into, and then it gives you a bonus and it gives you a penalty on the other one. It's game impacting which I know is sort of iffy about the design quirks, uh, but I think it's a fun one because it's got upsides and downsides, and it's it's a more a thing to play with than something that's a straight upgrade. How about you? Well, you're going to be freaking surprised. Illegal design, man. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Freak collision. Yes. For exactly what you said, it's crazy. The game put a quirk in that lets you break the rules. You go like, okay, you break the standard building rules, but then you have to give your mech this quirk that means it just randomly, you know, has a chance of just messing up. Oh, that to me is such a, a creative way to let people just have fun with the system. And that's why this is, this is a heart choice for me too. <laughs> this is 100% heart. I know what my most hated one is, which is not by heart, but the, but for, for my favorite one, for heart, yeah, it's definitely illegal design. Just I, I so never creative. in a thousand years thought that you would pick illegal design as well. That was, I, we're, we're so attuned. This podcast is doing terrible things to me. The lore, we love <laughs> those weird things. It's, oh, yeah, that's so cool. So cool. All right, well. Favorite pilot skill, good sir. This is another head versus heart decision. The head decision tells me it's Sandblaster. Pairs great with my LB-10X. It's a fairly muted pilot ability. It's not sort of like strategy defining. It just lets you be better at something that I find really fun. So when I got Sandblaster for my LB-10Xs, I'm having a good time. I'm sandblasting everyone with canister shot all over their faces. Great. But my heart tells me it's Bloodstalker, because I declare a blood <laughs> feud on you, Nathan. No, not again. I did not see that coming. Oh, Bloodstalker, but that's totally you. You're totally all about the Bloodstalker vibe. I, I just, it's not good. Only ever been disadvantaged because I feel the need to activate it too early because it is narratively hilarious to, like, take a shot from someone on the other side of the map, declare a blood feud on them, and then spend the rest of the match chasing them down because you got a mechanically terrible decision to make. <laughs> you know, I think there is something so cool about anything you have to declare. So like Bloodstalker, you have to declare it. I declare a blood feud on you. And like death from above. I declare death from above. Et cetera, et cetera. I think even your, your, uh, your quirk that you were mentioning, the design quirk, Regarding the variable ranges, you have to declare that too, right? Yep. Yeah, that's so cool. Mm -hmm, it's just mm -hmm. so cool having to lock that in end phase. Or whenever you have to lock it in. Oh, man. Yeah. It just adds a, a different vibe to the game. All right. And what about you? What's your favorite pilot skill? I like this one also from a heart perspective. But this is a skill that is also very broken. And that's Oblique Attacker. Mm -hmm. And that's basically... When you're better at indirect fire on missiles than you are at direct fire. So you can hit people. You're basically shooting people on radar pings. You don't need to visibly see them, have line of sight. You can just shoot over hills or hit them. You don't need someone to spot for you. And the reason I think that's so cool 
is because I imagine like a mathematician in the mech. He's sitting there, he's running the numbers, he's like doing the calculation. He's like, yes, they'll be here. Battleship. Boom. But then as soon as he sees you, as soon as you go over the hill, he's like, oh my God, they're here. <laughs> he starts freaking out and panicking and shooting wild. Like it's all. Oh. And that ability is really broken with certain like groups and stuff like that in certain scenarios. But uh, yeah, narratively, I think it's very, very, very fun because once again, I'm just imagining the nerd in there. This calculation will hit there if my assumptions are correct. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's one of those abilities where, like, if it couldn't be so easily broken, it would be, like, a really cool ability. It could, like, unlock certain types of gameplay, basically enabling you to have, you know, a mech operating as fire support without spotters. You know, it could be a, a nice moderate benefit. But, yeah, I agree. It does sort of... It could be quite breakable <laughs> you, you could mm -hmm. definitely abuse that very heavily all right well let's keep on moving along michael what's your favorite movement mode i see what you did there and i do not appreciate it that was not intentional <laughs> <laughs> whoops uh, <laughs> uh i this was an extremely weird question to answer my favorite movement mode is walking i i like uh moving at a reasonable pace to deal some damage while accepting that people may also shoot me. And I, I like a simpler time when mechs might walk somewhere instead of uh, running or jump jetting 11 spaces away. So I like walking. A simpler time when a we had to time. walk paces towards each other and <laughs> shoot. Uh, just like honorable combat should be resolved. <laughs> I assume you are going to pull out some bizarre advanced rule that 20% of our readership has actually known about or used in any of their matches. Yes. And that is hurried movement. Oh, gosh. I love hurried movement. It is so fun. And I don't care if I mess up so many times using <laughs> it. It just opens the battlefield. Like, it just makes you look at the map differently. Basically, what hurried movement allows you to do, it allows you to negate certain terrain costs entering spaces at the risk of falling, and you roll as you enter the hex. And when you play with advanced rule stacking, this is actually really good for light mechs, because light mechs get a modifier to make this actually easier for them in advanced rules. So essentially, if you are going into a hex that, let's say, has light tree cover, you can negate the cost of that light tree cover by rolling, if you're a light mech, just getting your piloting skill. That's simple. And then you've saved yourself one MP. And you can stack it over multiple things. And you can also increase it too. So let's say you wanted to do a heavy woods and you wanted to negate two MP. Well, you're going to be rolling your piloting skill plus two if you're in a light mech. And uh, yeah. What's cool about this is it makes it harder for people to also predict where you're going to be able to move and also allows you to look at the map with a few more options. So big fan of hurried movement. Yeah, you certainly are. Honestly, I, I'm not too against the mechanic. I, I think that that's an all right way to sort of make piloting more impactful in the game, giving you giving you like a, a rather tangible benefit to it. Probably like it more if I made use of it. I think that it comes down to like no one else ever thinks of hurried movement except for you. So your you're, you're <laughs> nimble little Jenners are just like tumbling through things at absurd speeds. 
That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good choice. Well, let's hurry along to our next question, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Favorite defensive equipment. Okay, this one was possibly an even weirder question because I, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of options here. And certainly not many that I've played with. So I'm going to pick something that I think seems cool, but I've never actually played with and might actually be really bad for the game when you're playing with it. But I, I think it sounds neat. And that is a null signature system and or stealth armor. I like that it's a neat little trade off. Again, it's a switch you can turn on or off and gives you tactical defensive bonuses, but at the cost of generating a bunch of heat. Uh, so you got to decide what are you going to do, lets you make decisions and, and adjust your gameplay around it. I think that sounds fun, but for all I know, stealth armor is the most broken thing ever and everyone hates it. So who knows? I see. I see. Do you? You can't see me because my null signature system is turned on. Unfortunately for you, Michael, I also have a null signature system because that's what I chose as my favorite defensive equipment too. Oh my god, what are the odds? What are the odds? I did not think you were going to choose null signature system. Yeah, I love it. I love it for the reasons you're saying. I like how it's, you know, the plus 10 heat. At medium range, you get plus one. Long range, plus two. When I think of this on a Jenner, and there is a Jenner variant with it, <laughs> it's great. You run in, you shoot, you're overheating, you're cooking, baby. Activate your null signature system, then run away. Then next turn, deactivate it and phase come back in. You can just be so annoying. Like instinct, <laughs> back retreat, instinct, back retreat. I just think it's, yeah, very, very cool. And I also like how they sort of explain it. it's literally just things blocking your exhaust ports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shove some mud in there or something. I I, <laughs> I think it's neat. And you would like it on your Jenner. Much like my entire set of answers revolves around the LB10X, uh, your answers revolve around the Jenner. Anything that will allow it to survive a little bit longer. <laughs> I will love. Please let it live longer. A few more moments so that it can complete its final task of melting into a pile of slag on the ground. That's its destiny. Just let it cook itself. You don't need to kill it. Just it will cook itself, man. Let Jenner cook. All right. We're getting a little bit weirder now. Maybe we've already been weird, but a little bit weirder. And remember, insert your name here. We want to hear what you've been thinking. So make sure you're filling out that survey either with us or after when you have a chance. Or against us. Or ag <laughs> Preferably against us. All right. Michael, your favorite standard rule. This is a this is a kind of a weird question to answer. I picked firing arcs because I think that it's important that the mechs can shoot some places and they can't shoot other places. Yeah. No, I, I like this question. It's, <laughs> it is weird, but like that's a great answer because it's like this is something that other games might not do. And that's one of the things that makes Battletech so special, especially when you're thinking about the standard rules, not the advanced rules. That's very cool. That's something that makes Battletech unique. I've played lots of like role-playing games, moving moving minis around on, on a grid before. Firing arcs make the tactics really different. You have to think about movement. You have to think about a ton of things and, and positioning and dividing fire up. Firing arcs are good. It's the Battletech. Battletech wouldn't be Battletech without firing arcs. Heck yeah. How about you? I'm a big fan of PSR, so build skill rolls. Just in general, the mechanic of you taking damage, falling, certain situations coming about that make you test to see if you're going to fall on your face. As frustrating as it is, I just love 
the humanity in it. The fact that you can just mess up as a pilot. I find that mechanic really fun, despite it being very, very frustrating at times. Do you like the humanity of it, or do you like the chaos of it? I think that humanity is chaos, my friend. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, mm -hmm. let's, let's back away from that before the philosophy major gets too into it here. As Plato once said... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Plato talked. Well, you know, Plato probably did talk about chaos, actually. Yeah, but like who cares what Plato said? Man, he's old school. <laughs> Let's go to Wittgenstein. Let's get real. Oh, God. No, he started. Wittgenstein said. <laughs> hey, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Michael, Michael, Michael. I can use Wittgenstein's metaphor for climbing to the different stage of the library for why I apply advanced rules in the game. Once you go that high, you can't go back. Yes. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for bringing the philosophy in. Well, listeners, uh, look forward to a three-hour Bungle Tech special brought to you by Nathan, explaining to you the philosophy of playing advanced rules and why it is morally correct. Oh, yes. If I can make a moral argument, then I can shame others. And shame is a most powerful tool. Way more powerful than a PPC. All right, the natural evolution flows into our favorite advanced rule. I'll go first for this one because I've already said mine. Hurried movement. I love hurried movement. It's so good. There's some other cool ones, but I'll just stick to hurried movement so I don't double dip. Since you aren't double dipping, I will. <laughs> Damn you, Michael. <laughs> I'm stealing your advanced rule. So the first one, I was going to say floating through armor criticals. I like after you roll a roll a two on the hit location and it becomes a, a critical hit, a through armor critical, then you roll again to see where it lands. I think that's great. But I don't know if that's an advanced rule anymore. It is an optional rule, but it's actually in the battle neck manual now. So I don't think that's an advanced rule. It's just an optional one. Interesting. My favorite actual advanced rule from tactical operations is ECM ghost targets. A lot of advanced rules I find add unnecessary complexity and can be frustrating to play sometimes, but ECM ghost target is a solid win for the book in my opinion. It gives ECM something to do in any fight, and it's not like excessive. It's a fairly mild bonus. I think that it's a great rule, and I, I absolutely feel that should be cored if it hasn't already. Nice. Yeah, it is cool. Remember the old one before? Uh, I don't remember it because I never understood it. It had too many words, and I could not parse what it was trying to explain to me. Ghosts. <laughs> All right. Moving into the more narrative-focused element of this uh, question period, I hope you're following along with us. Insert your name here. Favorite mech color scheme, Michael. So... I like rounded color schemes. I like looking at pretty mechs, but I like things that look like actual vehicles, which I, I think we miss a bit sometimes in, in Battletech. There's, there's always people doing them, but I like them better than the parade colors. So I, I'm a sucker for a good like tundra camo with some like deep greens and grays. Looks really good on mechs. Obviously, whatever camo fits your environment is the correct answer, but I like, I like some tundra. How about you? explain to me exactly which legion of steel viper or which i don't know uh, what, what do they have friggin' armies what what steel viper army do you like i'm drawing a blank michael but the color <laughs> scheme is based on them what is it 
Oh, while you while you figure that out, I will say I have always loved Dazzle Camo, and I would love to see more mechs with Dazzle Camo, but I don't know how good it would actually look because I, I haven't seen that many examples of it painted. But I think that it could be really cool to have a mech that's just like got all of its form broken up by weird angles and lines. I don't know how much sense it makes in a, in a world perspective, but I, I want to see more. I, I kind of want to paint one of my mechs with it, but I'm not very good. So, Beta Galaxy. Steel Viper Beta Galaxy. There you go. Beta Galaxy. I What I like about them is I like the burnt steel, so I like sort of earthy colors. They also have like snake scales on them, which is sort of a little bit lame. Don't tell the other Vipers <laughs> I think that. But in general, I'd say like burnt steel, sort of brownish, um, very desert camo, stuff like that. I could see those on the battlefield. The snake scales are a little bit gaudy yes but i you know that that sort of looks like real paint jobs i don't know i'm just imagining someone painting all of these like hand painting all these tiny scales on their mech just to have them absolutely vaporized by the first m laser that hits them yeah i wonder actually how many actual mech warriors in the clans paint their own mechs because i assume most would think it's beneath them and would get the technician cast to do it or do they have like magic paint robots that, that do it? Robots, man. We are sitting in those robots. All right, Michael, your favorite era. Good, sir. As listeners will know, I'm not the biggest lore head for, for Battletech, but I like the sort of late succession wars era, post-collapse. Things are bad, but the wars trudge on. I like that sort of feel that feels Battletech-y to me before the clans arrive, almost post-apocalyptic galaxy that war keeps happening because there will always be nobles, uh, space feudalism, all that stuff. So that that feels the, 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 the best for me in a lore-wise. And it's also sort of the era I like to play because it's when, you know, mechs were mechs and lasers were lasers and ACs were ACs and everything's sort of a bit slower paced. You didn't have quite as much flexibility with movement and with heat sinking so it's also sort of my favorite era gameplay wise where you had to make decisions and mechs were fairly limited in what you could do how about you that's a very michael answer that's a very michael answer. <laughs> this is true yeah. tell me about how you love the clans i love the clans and in particular i love the clan invasion era i know i'm lame that's okay it was so cool and I think the reason I love it is I love the the part where they are just overwhelming the Inner Sphere at the beginning. When the Inner Sphere doesn't know what the heck is going on. And they're still thinking like, is this an, you know, a, a faction, another faction that I know that is like stepping in or hiring mercenaries? That unknown invasion element at the beginning, that's so exciting. So, so cool. So definitely my favorite. And in the video games, too, those moments are really like, oh, my goodness. I feel like that's also part of it for you is you got into Battletech during all these different bits of media about the clan invasion. So it's super cool to you. Yeah, man. Elementals are cool, Michael. I don't care what you say. <laughs> all right. Following from that. Favorite faction, Michael. I'm actually curious what your favorite faction is. This one starts to get a little bit a little bit difficult. I'm gonna struggle with some of these questions here, so I apologize. Part of me wants to say Comstar, but they're almost too memed at this point and sort of lost their luster in my eyes. 
I've read one too many phone company jokes and not sure that I like associating with Comstar anymore. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to nebulously say various periphery powers. I, I like the sort of rough scrabble stories on the edge of, of the, the sphere where it's small factions of a size that sort of makes sense to me. You know, I, I can imagine two or 10 or 20 worlds banding together into a loose power and then scrabbling it out on, on, the, on the fringes with a bunch of other similarly sized um, factions. I don't know that I could name a specific one that's like my favorite. Um, and it's partly because they keep popping up and then getting absolutely hammered. And that's, that's part of why I like them. I like the, the live and die nature on the edge. I'm, I'm going to nebulously say all the collection of periphery powers. So Nathan, what's your favorite faction? Well, everybody knows. It's Clan Steel Viper. May they forever remain undefeated. Unsurprising response. Steel Viper fan, which many of the following questions are going to extra highlight. Let's go to the next one, actually. What's your favorite hero in the Battletech universe, Michael? Don't have one. I, uh, I haven't really read much, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm getting started on, on reading some lore here. Uh, so I only know the, like, the big ones. And I don't really like them. I don't really like most of the big ones I know. They, they seem a bit too, like, too big for their britches. They're, they're too big for my, my Battletech universe. But maybe that will change. I see. Nathan, who is the coolest Steel Viper? Well, that's easy, Michael. It's Star Captain Don Moffat. She is my favorite hero in the Battletech universe. I discovered her in a book a long, long time ago. She's really the only reason I like Steel Viper so much, but I just love the character. She was really influential in my views of sort of martial arts and stuff like that when I was growing up. Don Moffat for the win. Love that chick. Super, super cool. What about your favorite antagonist to go in the opposite direction? I'm going to pick a meta answer here, and I'm going to say my favorite antagonists are the Tetate, because they are the Battletech fandom's antagonist, collectively hated by a significant bulk of it. Oh my god, do you know that I literally just finished reading that book a week ago? <laughs> I know they're not even antagonists in that story, but I know they have antagonized the heck out of the Battletech fandom. So they're my favorite just because they annoy a lot of people. And for the record, to continue the annoyance, I personally thought the book Far Country was great. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy the tete-a-tete. My villain or antagonist of choice is... The glorious, wise, kind, compassionate, intelligent, Catherine Steiner Davian. Oh, I love her. I love how mean she is. <laughs> she is the original Cersei. She's just amazing. She's amazing, and I find her motivations to be very understandable, and her approach to be very understandable. I like her relationship with Victor. And Victor, I don't really like him as a protagonist. He's a little bit too vanilla for me and so i like that she is anti-victor yeah <laughs> maybe one day i'll know what you're talking about well i'm sure insert your name here knows what i'm talking about <laughs> and i'm excited to hear what they think too michael 
your favorite Battletech unique occupation? I couldn't really think of something worthwhile here. I, I tried to like get myself in the headspace, but I just sort of said like mech tech. I think it would be cool to take care of a giant robot. I like to maintain my old car. And I think it would be cool if I got to maintain a giant old robot instead. That would be cool. <laughs> How about you? I, I feel like you must have a good answer to this. I mean, it's an answer you've already made fun of, Michael. Oh, God. Elementals. Oh, my God. Elementals are so cool. They're big. They're strong. They're in personal armor suits. They jump around. Battle armor, You'd man. You'd be giant. Your bones would probably hurt all the time. And they just get in this stuffy suit and you jump around and probably get annihilated by some robot anyways. Dude, there's suits. If you lose an arm, it fills with like this black gel that keeps your arm intact so it can be reattached later. Wow, that's that all you need. extremely cool. I'd love to have my arm blown off. I'd rather be in a situation where it's unlikely my arm will get blown off, such as inside a giant robot or maintaining a giant robot off the battlefield. If you're in a giant robot and your mech arm blows off, that's an extension of you, good sir. This is just making it more personal being the <laughs> elemental. Plus then, they get hopped up on drugs when their limbs get blown off, so they go friggin' crazy. That sounds super cool. All right, Michael, you say that you're not very connected to the lore, so I'm very curious about your answer is gonna be to this question. I've been dreaming on it. What will Michael say? What will Michael say? What is your favorite lore moment? Well, this is one taken off one of the pilot cards I once held. I love the moment when Susan Barber, commander of Barber's Marauders, got her hands on several lances worth of Marauder 2s and renamed Susan Barber's Barber's Marauders into Barber's Marauder 2s. I don't know why this has stuck with me, but I really love Barber's Marauder 2s for some reason. It's not even my favorite mech, but I love this mercenary unit. <laughs> I mean, it stuck with me too the first time you read that pilot card at the table. I was like, oh man, this is a fun little story. How about you? What's your, what's your favorite lore moment? And how does it involve Steel Viper? Surprise, surprise, Michael. It doesn't involve Steel Viper. Although there's, oh, so close to choosing when Don chucked the Ameris head in front of the Steel Viper council. That's so close. That's so close. <laughs> but no, 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 no. It is when Jamie Wolf confronted Takashi Kurita and basically said, dude, you have betrayed Minobu Tetsuhara, who was my bro. My bro had to commit seppuku to redeem for an honor loss that you essentially facilitated through your incompetence. And now... Mr. Takashi Kirita, or coordinator, I'm coming for you, chucks down Minobu's swords that he used for the seppuku in front of him. It's at a wedding with Hans Davian and Melissa Steiner. Oh, that moment was so epic. That sounds extremely cool. I could definitely also loved it when all those things happened. I was there. <laughs> Not literally, but I mean, when I was reading the book, I felt like I was there. All right, Michael, what about your favorite Battletech media type like i don't know this isn't a very exciting answer but it's like games <laughs> I, I i like the games uh that's my preferred way to interact with BattleTech is playing either tabletop or computer games i think that's where it works best all the lore and stuff is neat 
but I'm mostly here for the game. For me, I think it's actually the novels. And this was hard because, you know, games are really great too. And But the novels just, the stories in them stick with me a little bit more heavily than the stories in the games do and the interactions in the games do. So mm-hmm. definitely I think it's the, the variety of novels. And there's so many good Battletech writers and even the short stories in Shrapnel. Yeah, super, super good. Well, moving on to immediate Battletech type, and that is podcasts. What is your favorite Battletech podcast, Michael? I don't like having to answer this question because it it feels like I have to, I don't know, it feels shameful, but I don't really listen to many other podcasts. I don't listen to much podcasts at all, and I don't listen to any other Battletech podcasts. Even though I know there's a ton of great ones out there, I don't listen to them, so I guess it's this podcast by default. But not because I think we're super great, just because I don't know about how great other people are. Shame on you, Michael. I feel deep shame. You chose us. That is a social bungle that you've made, good sir. It sure is, and I am aware. (laughs) But Nathan, can you choose a favorite? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I do have a favorite. And there are amazing Battletech podcasts out there, right? Like we have Battletopia. We have Of Mechs and Men. We have the Mech Bay. We have the Valhalla Club. We have Wolfnet. We have a bazillion others that are just dropping out of my mind at this moment. But my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite podcast, hands down, is the Renegade HBG podcast by Travis Gardner. Oh, I love his podcast. Topic's so interesting. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure to check it out. Super, super good podcast. They are a big one. Yes, they are. I'm also really curious about what Insert Your Name Here thinks is their favorite podcast. I'm really excited to share that information once we hear back from everybody. And don't don't pick our podcast. Pick other people's podcasts so we can get cool ideas for podcasts I should listen to. No, pick our podcast if it is your favorite podcast. We don't need the ego. We don't need the ego boost here. I need the ego boost. But be honest. Pick your favorite <laughs> podcast. Jeez, Michael. <laughs> trying to sully the data. All right, Michael, what's your favorite story in the Battletech universe, Mr. I don't read the lore? Uh, I, I don't read the lore, but I have consumed snippets here and there uh, from getting lost in Sarna. I think the Calm Star War is kind of neat. It's, it's a fun story. I know everyone like knows all about and Comstar is endlessly memed now, but the story actually going through like how Comstar wields its power and sort of the extent that it has to just like cripple one of the the large factions in the uh, in the the setting and win a war without firing a shot themselves, but just using everyone else's guns. Cool. I like it. I, it sets up Comstar as a really neat sort of, you know, arch villain. I'm actually very surprised that you didn't choose him as your faction. I understand the reason, but so it's good to see that they've come up in some way. And how about you? What's your favorite time that Clan Steel Viper uh, did something <laughs> cool on the battlefield? Well, that's when Don Moffat was part of a team to take out Amiris Third or something like that in the amazing book. Star-Lord by Donald G. Phillips. This is another political answer. People, I think, universally think this is one of the worst books 
in the Battletech universe. But man, I love Star-Lord. It was one of my first books into the universe. I love the characters. I reread it recently to see if it still hit me the same way from a sentimentality perspective, and it did. And I get it. The Ameris represented as a pretty villainous, chaotic, cartoony-style dude. But, oh my god. Dawn makes up for everything. She's so badass, so cool. Oh, man. Yeah, there's so many good scenes in that book. I'm a big, big fan of it. And like I say, that's the reason why I fell in love with Steel Viper. All because of her. Moving on to video games, Michael, because this is your favorite medium. What is your favorite video game? Uh, my favorite's the Hairbrain Schemes Battletech game. It's a good turn-based Battletech they took liberties with the rules, and I don't mind that too much. I, I think that they adapted it well to a to a computer game. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Mega Mech. You know, it was its own thing. I think it really captured the feel of of BattleTech really well. Set out in the periphery, where I like smaller stories. That's probably my favorite. But I'll I'll be honest, I haven't played a lot of BattleTech video games. I played that. I played Mech Warrior Five, which is pretty good. I played Mech Assault yonks ago and i don't remember that but i think it wasn't very good mechasol was actually pretty good it's like okay, not very right. battle techy but it's 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 for more casual battle tech players i think it's pretty good it's fun yes technically that would be the first battle tech media i ever consumed was mechasalt nice at a friend's house all right what about you what's your favorite game uh and how what kind of a role does clan steel viper play in that story well <laughs> I don't think Steel Viper was in the video game that I play. That is my choice. Listen, Clan Steel Viper isn't, uh... <laughs> they're not really the protagonists anytime. I mean, they do do some stuff, but if anything, they're the antagonists. But no, it's MechWarrior 2 Mercenaries. That game deals with the clan invasion and deals with mercenary companies, you know, salvage all that stuff. Such a good game, such a big variety of mechs. The cinematics, so good. This opening cinematic, man, I've rewatched a few times, like an upscaled version. Oh, so badass. Starts out with your mech commander defending you as you're retreating in a dinky commando. She's in a Zeus. She gets blown up by a catapult. I think Arrow 4s, I don't know. Big, big missiles. And then as you're flying away, as the dropship captain decided to close the ship, and then says to you in a rustic voice, Look at the bright side, kid. You get to keep all the money. And that just, like, sets it. And then the first mission is the letter from your commander saying she's handing over the mercenary company to you. Oh, man. That game was great. And when the clans come in, whoo, you're like, what's going on? The mystery, all of a sudden, these badass mechs and everything like that. Uh, it was it was pretty pretty intense. Yeah, I loved it. And, well, of course, as mentioned earlier, the mauler. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of those games that I would have loved if I played it at, at, you know, the right age when it came out, but, you know, just never, never crossed paths with it when I was younger. And at this point, I've got lots of things to play. I, I don't see myself going back to play it, but it, it seems like it would have been really influential on me if I had played. Yeah, I think going back and playing it probably wouldn't be fun anymore. It's pretty janky in reflection, but at the time it was really, really amazing. Your description of, of experiencing it, it took me back. I was I was like 11-year-old Nathan playing this game, or however old you were, I don't know. I was there. I was 38, Michael. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Following from that, back to the board game. Back on the table. Yeah. Your favorite scenario type. I I think I like sort of attack defend type missions here. It gives you a little bit of asymmetry, which is fun. Gives you objectives other than simply blowing up the enemy, but still keeps blowing up the enemy like the focus of it. So I I think it's a nice setup, but it can be maybe a bit hard to balance sometimes. Not as hard as other things. I I think I think attack defense is just a, a solid solid battle type. Everyone gets what you're do, what's going on in it. It's good, and mine sort of is an evolved version of it, or maybe not evolved. That sounds like I'm being egotistical, like I am. I'll be more political. An alternative. I, instead of evolved, I would say perhaps hideously mutated. You know, you got like some some extra arms growing out of you, but extra arms. Sounds like extra abilities, my friend. (laughs) I've only encountered this in our game modes, but I just really like the attack, defend, pillage game mode we have. So I think in general, a game mode where there's that really concrete objective like the attack, defend, but also that really chaotic, random element of the pillager and how that messes up the battlefield. Person who's trying to come in and steal what the other person wants to destroy and what the other person's trying to protect. That, to me, oh, I really love that chaotic dynamic. I'm really curious about what other people think about this, specifically you. Insert your name here. The Battletech community plays a wide variety of stuff. All right, now a question that maybe only you and I won't be able to answer. <laughs> Based on survey results before. Your favorite Battletech initiative card. For this one, I picked Hold Your Ground. It's a face card, but its effect isn't too crazy. So what it is, is each of your units can reduce their movement points by two in exchange for plus two target modifier for attacks against them. It's powerful, but you have to actually go out of your way to use it. It lets you build tactics around it, and it's a decision to make. Something that you can choose to use. It gives you an advantage. It's not too swingy. Favorite favorite card. Yeah, it's a good one. What about you? Mine is sort of similar in terms of the vein of it not being a very powerful card. I think a more balanced card. That's defensive formation, which basically allows you to say this one mech reduces damage of all incoming attacks from one opponent by five per weapon. I like that because it would allow me in a certain situation to push a light forward more aggressively than normal. Take that one mech and do something sneaky with it that I normally would be afraid to do. Yeah, could be a bit swingy, but it's still something you have to play around. You have to use it tactically, and it's not hugely going to sway the battle one way or the other. Exactly. It's balanced-ish, just like the initiative yeah. deck. Balanced-ish-y. Yeah. Ishy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Your favorite battlefield environment. Again, we haven't played with too many like environment effects. So I picked one that I'd like to try because it seems cool, but maybe the rules would suck. And that is underwater. I really want to do an underwater mission with the rules for fighting underwater because I think it would be neat and I want to know how it changes the game. But it might suck because everyone's slow and if you get hit, you might die. So it's essentially your favorite until you realize how horrible it is through firsthand experience. It's my favorite to imagine playing. I see. I can visualize all these mechs just floating around underwater, 
shooting each other and then you know someone like dying terribly as their mech floods what's the theme music is it under the sea <laughs> give me the soundtrack man it doesn't have music it's like eerily still and silent Ooh, ambience mm-hmm. and if i ever played underwater and it was really unfun i would probably pick null atmosphere fighting on the moon there's an HPG transmitter on the moon and, you know, the mechs are floating around in space and you can't vent heat properly. And like, I don't know. I like being in space. Space. Sci-fi. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> you? You may have parsed this question entirely different than me. So what's your choice? Mine is just urban environments. I like fighting in cities. I like buildings. I like lots of random different elevations, lots of blocked line of sight. Still the ability to destroy the terrain, though. I find that really exciting yeah i always choose to fight in a city over other scenarios if the option is there and i also think it favors sort of the mechs i like too you know like little jumpy things so i can like poke around a corner shoot run away and there's lots of strategy i mean there's lots of strategy in all of these scenarios but you know the extra strategy of like busting into a building being in the building shooting from the building all that stuff i think adds a lot of cool elements to the game following from that favorite environmental effect So this one, most environmental effects have been sort of a bummer because they've most of the time we've played with them, they've popped up through initiative cards and then it's just like chaos as suddenly all of your plans are thrown to the wind. But I I think a lot of them I'd enjoy more if you, you know, actually knew that this was what it was coming into the battle. So I kind of like the nighttime rules, particularly like the very nighttime rules where they just sort of slow down the match. I've actually seen that as a complaint against them, is it just feels like the same game, but slower. But I don't think that's a bad thing to just sometimes have a slower, more ponderous version of it. It's harder to move around. It's harder to hit enemies. And then the super weird quirk of if someone gets really hot, then it's easy to shoot them again because they're they're glowing red. That's stupid and funny. So I, <laughs> I like that in there as well. It's funny. It really shows you how primitive the targeting systems are in the Battletech universe. <laughs> like heat-seeking missiles. It hasn't evolved. For me, and I don't know if this is truly an environmental effect now that I think about it, but I like the effect that low gravity causes on your mechs. In particular, if you're in a low gravity with no atmosphere, how you can run way faster... But there's the chance that if you overexceed your your mech's limits, you can tweak yourself a little bit. Just like running with the wind at your back in real life. You know, you might trip. <laughs> that's going to hurt. I just like that little variable. I think that's a cool sort of thing they thought out and uh, very, very fun to play. Yeah, I, I might have chosen one of those gravity effects, but problem is that they all come with some unnecessary penalties for ballistic weapons. And ballistic weapons really don't need any extra penalties. So I, I can't enjoy it because my favorite weapon types get further owned by low gravity. I see. Just another cut, man. Yeah, it's a hard life being a ballistic main. It certainly is. with ballistic weapons being your favorite tool i'm curious what your favorite strategy applying them or other weapons is what's your favorite strategy (laughs) michael to apply when you're playing battletech so 
most of the time, I don't know this. I, I don't know exactly what what is meant by strategy, but sort of my game plan is is usually the same sort of some some variation of like fire and movement. I like my direct fire ballistic base of fire that provides like overwatch and locks down the battlefield, providing fire support and then having a, a mobile element that sort of medium speed can move around, engage the enemy, push targets, flank them, apply pressure, get them into the open so that the supporting fire can can get them. That ends up being my strategy pretty much all the time. I just I like that in all sorts of games and I like that in Battletech. There's there's a lot of tools for it in here. So I like my I like my Night Star sitting up on a ridge with ballistic support. I like my blackjacks sitting two maps away with their AC2s, just providing a little bit of extra pressure. And then having, you know, a mixture of, of some some middleweight mechs, you know, maybe a marauder if you need something heavy, uh bushwhackers, uh you know, any sort of medium to heavy mechs to to get in there and and engage the target that's my that's my strategy almost all the time i don't even think about it anymore yeah it's funny how you know we all develop just that play style that we enjoy mm-hmm. yeah and just stick to it i sort of have a like a similar thing where there's a way i like to play ideal state i'd have like an indirect fire mech behind a mountain i'd have a blocker somewhere in between and then I'd have a light mech tagging and a light mech harasser. So the tagger really is the primary thing that should be killed. But the harasser is going to provide enough annoyance that people try to split their fire a little bit. And the blocker is going to provide sniping support, but at the same time, try to dissuade people from coming out and taking out the LRM boat. That, I think, is my favorite strategy. And ideally, like... Even if the blocker was something like a, a hatchetman instead, so it didn't really have the, the fire support, having a hatchetman sit between you and an LRM boat means you have to get into the range of the hatchet. You have to pass through it, right? So heavy melee mechs is blockers while you're getting shot in the back by Jenner's? Oh, man. That's my dream. Sounds frustrating to play against, but hey, man. We already know that if we really want to kill a friendship, we use an arrow IV. <laughs> Honestly, I I think that it's uh it's it's a really solid sort of strategy. It it you know makes sense as an archetype, and I think it's usually led to pretty good battles on on the battlefield because you 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 know we have sort of different approaches to it. So it's not just who rolls better, but it's you know who can maneuver better, who can catch the other one out. So uh, I I think that we've we've usually had good good matches between us. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, our strategy's always really seen on the table. I mean, but Battletech happens, headshots happen, whatever. Like, things happen in Battletech. That's why we love it and also why we can get a little upset with it sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> when the table is set initially, it's like, oh, there's a strategy at play. Then failed PSR just rolling around the mud for the next six rounds. Like, oh, okay. Strategy only goes so far. <laughs> That is extremely true, especially with all the advanced rules. Okay, so we're now on our final two questions, and these ones are extra important. Insert your name here. Make sure that you are filling out that survey. Michael, the big question, this is important. You are coming to game day. You've prepped your lance. 
your mechs are ready, your strategy's built in. What is your favorite game day snack? Uh, this is I'm going to give a very uh, a very gamer answer here, uh, but I like me some green bag Doritos. I like the the jalapeno cheddar Doritos, a little bit spicy, tastes like Doritos, tastes like being a child again. The good old days before we read hundreds of pages of rule books to play a game. I don't know. I kind of always did that. I was, I was a weird kid. <laughs> Your childhood, Michael. Your childhood. <laughs> hundreds of pages of rule books and some green bag Doritos. What, what more could you want in life? Mr. Nathan, what is the favorite snack of Clan Steel Viper? Well, it's victory, of course. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I don't know what the favorite snack. It would have to be something like bold, something that was strong and it felt like you had a kick in the face. Maybe it was like they'd snort wasabi or something like that <laughs> before they got on their max. But I think for my favorite game day snack, I'm split on this. I think for snack, I'm going to go Persian style, man. What my wife taught me. Cheeto puffs, dipping them in plain yogurt. Oh, yeah. With chopsticks, of course, because you don't want to get you don't want to get Cheeto fingers anywhere. That makes a mess. That's like a great, a great game day snack. Brings me to the table and makes you feel refreshed because of the yogurt, despite you just downing a full bag of Cheeto puffs. <laughs> <laughs> We both have pretty gamer answers. Yours was unusual. I'm I'm curious if if anyone else has ever eaten Cheeto puffs with plain yogurt. Make sure to let us know, or maybe don't if you wish to hide your shame. If people do, I will know they're Persian straight away because the only people that I've ever seen do that are are Persians, like my wife. So <laughs> the Persians, man, they they get their snacks. Snack masters. All right. Last question. Big question. Huge question. What is your favorite thing about the community, Michael? Hmm. So I feel like I've, I've sort of answered this before, uh, just talking about various things on here. But I, I, I think I've definitely, uh, you know, I, I've gotten more into the community. And I, I know quite a few more people who, who play Battletech. And it's only, only confirmed what I already knew which is that the community's generally really chill. Everyone loves the giant mechas, and some people are, are get really excited about specifics of it. And, you know, I, I, I love that. I love how into it people are while still being extremely chill at the table. Like, every time I've played a game with someone, ultimately people are there to roll some dice and have a good time. No one's I, I've never been in a situation where someone was like really into winning. They had to win, you know, their their entire personal respect was was riding on this. So just the the chill nature and the fact that I, I haven't met someone who I, I felt was like unfun to play with yet. That's awesome. That's actually really rare, right? That is a, mm -hmm. that is a huge strength of the community for sure. And my experience has been similar, playing with people. Like, I really have never met someone who, despite how technical and how rules-bound Battletech is and the history of it, I've never met and played with someone who didn't take it easy in many ways and accept that's how the dice crumble. And actually following from your comment, 
my favorite thing about the community is how the community really embraces that there is no good guy and there is no winner in the Battletech universe. It's like everyone's bad. Everyone has good and bad and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that's so unique. I think it's so unique when you have a player base that not about liking the different factions, everyone having a different faction that they like, but the fact that people are like, yeah, you know, there's some war crimey stuff going on in every faction. Yeah, they did this. That was pretty cool. That was good. But oh, yeah, they've made some mistakes. That's cool. And I think that's fun because you can come to the table. People can bring like a Draconis Combine and people can bring, you know, or Clan Steel Viper or whatever. And these two different factions that there are reasons to loathe and there are reasons to love and just come at it like a casual sort of fun Maybe not casual. Casual is the wrong word. <laughs> Sorry, let me step back. Not casual. Coming it from an intense yet fun sort of perspective, I think is really, really cool. And I think is pretty unique to the community. I'd agree with that. The only winner is you. Insert your name here. For filling out that survey. Tertiary objective. Battlefield outcome report segment. Initiating. This is Nathaniel Smithson INN Boots on the Ground. Right in the action in a heated Solaris competition between the legendary Northman and newcomer Hale in House Lau's The Jungle Arena. Intense maneuvering and strategizing are just the tip of the arrow IV in this battle. Hale's Jenner 2C has been launching itself in and out of tree cover, hoping to open up the resolute Northman. Yet, his custom variant Hercules with rear-mounted pulse lasers has prevented his opponent from ever truly finding a safe perch from which to strike. And there we see it again. The mastery of the Northman as he weaves and leaps between trees, completely negating the barrage of streak SRMs coming his way, almost as if he is a druid of old, protected by the mother nature that he serves. Despite Hale's lock, she cannot land a single hit. Oh, and the Northman lands a barrage of energy weapons through the forest, ripping into the Jenner 2C, his weaponries tearing through the jungle like weeds. And what is this? The smoking Hale seems to be launching a final gambit, moving into physical attack range, praying that the jungle fails to protect the Hercules from her strike. She launches her missiles, and she lands a solid kick. And how is this possible? Northman completely dodges amongst trees at point-blank range. Not even a single scratch from the explosive streak SRM barrage is able to land. Oh, that does it. Northman answers back with a well-placed PBC that sends Hale's fusion engine into critical. Today, in the Laos Stadium on Solaris 7, the Northman, or perhaps more aptly, the North Jungleman captures a solid victory. Until next time, this is Nathaniel Smithson, always first on the scene. Well, what happened? An advanced rule had some unique interaction with Streak SRMs, resulting in the complete mitigation of a Jenner 2C's payload in a battle. So how did it happen? During a recently run Solaris Showdown content creator tournament facilitated by the Valhalla Club, 
I, and a Jenner 2C was pitted against the Northmen in a Hercules in a jungle environment. These games utilized a variety of tac ops rules, and one in particular completely changed the game. The rule was tac ops woods cover. This rule doesn't give mechs a modifier to hit when sitting in a wood hex. Instead, dependent on the wood cover type, it mitigates a specific amount of damage coming in on each attack. Essentially, it treats wood cover a lot like how building cover is treated. In this situation, it was a light jungle hex which mitigates 2 damage per each damage value grouping. 2 damage is exactly how much an SRM does, and this resulted in every single one of my 3 streak SRM4s being absorbed by the jungle hex. Additionally, and interestingly, because streak SRMs only fire when they have locked on and cannot miss in normal circumstances, they cannot also create unintentional fires, as unintentional fires can only be caused by weapons that have missed. This unique combination of rules resulted in the full armament of the Jenner 2C being completely absorbed by the jungle hex in which the opponent was taking cover. Essentially, the Jenner was forced to make a choice. 1. Destroy the hex by shooting at the opponent. Note that light jungle cover has 60 health per hex. 2. Don't shoot at the opponent and shoot at the hex, hoping to create an intentional fire that would destroy the hex. Or, 3. Jump into close range and use physical attacks in the hopes of creating PSR failures in the opponent. With the Jenner 2C only having streak SRM weaponry, and against a Hercules with rear-mounted pulse lasers and other powerful weaponry, the odds were stacked on this one against the Jenner 2C from the get-go. May she forever rest in peace. Secondary Objective Rule Check Discovery Segment Initiating Hello everybody, welcome back to our Rule Check Discovery Segment. And wowza, do we got a fun little quickie for you today, don't we Michael? Yeah, this seems like the sort of thing that like, I feel a lot of people could make mistakes with. Um, it's not the most dramatic or impactful or anything, but it it's, it feels like it could be a common one. Yes, and what I like about this one too is it's actually doing this the right way actually saves you time on rolling in theory. Only if things are going badly for you. If things are going badly for you, do you really want to roll more? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, basically... A rule mistake we were making is we were doing consciousness rolls last. If we had to do piloting skill rolls and consciousness rolls together, we would always do all our piloting skill rolls. Let's say someone came up and they kicked me in the round and at the same time I was shot in the head, even though it's different rounds. Let's say it happens in the same round somehow. I don't know. You're terrible at giving examples. These are awful examples. <laughs> okay. Okay. Change. An atlas comes around the corner, and there's Michael's urban mech standing there with his air IV missiles saying, Oh no, you found me! The atlas, alpha strikes, missing most of the hits, <laughs> but 20 damage hits, and one bullet, which is from a medium laser, which this specific variant of an atlas has, <laughs> hits the head. Youch. Youch. What will Michael do in his baby urban mech? What will you do, Michael? Well, the first thing I'll do is 
I will mark off a pilot hit and I will make a consciousness check because after all attacks have been resolved and you're you're closing out the damage phase, the first thing you do is you make any consciousness rolls necessary. So I'd first make a, a check to see whether I fall unconscious or not. And then I would have to make the piloting skill roll for staying standing from taking 20 damage. And where Nathan was talking about this making it easier is because if I am immediately knocked unconscious in my urban mech, I don't need to worry about keeping it standing anymore because the urban mech's falling over. So I just tumble to the ground with no chance to save. So, you know, it is a, a time-saving measure in, in some ways, <laughs> mostly in bad ways. You know, it's funny how I imagine this narratively. I always imagine that the pilot was like struggling to keep their mech up or whatever. Boom, and then they hit the ground, and then they're so stressed out and exhausted they fall asleep. <sighs> but in reality, by the rules, you get like knocked unconscious and then fall over. I guess that makes a lot more thematic sense than like suddenly passing out in your mech for a random reason. However, you do have an opportunity then where say you succeed your, your consciousness check and my little my little trash can goes tumbling over and I fail my piloting skill rule, so I fall, then I have to make another consciousness check as part of the the uh, the so-called seatbelt rule to see whether I take another pilot hit after I fall. So I could conceivably make a consciousness check, pass it, make a pilot skill roll, fail it, make another piloting skill roll, fail it, and then have to make a consciousness check because I bonked my head when my trash can fell over. So there's there's potentially quite a few rolls that stack up here. More likely, you'll you'll pass one of the earlier ones, but you know they they can stack up for a ways here. But the very first one you make is a consciousness check because if that fails, then you just fall down and then you bonk your head automatically, taking another pilot hit. It's it's expedient but painful. Playing this the way we were playing, how did this really impact the game? I feel like it didn't impact things too much. I can't think of a specific example where like someone was saved by falling over and then falling asleep after they they oopsie daisied it over. I, I can't think of any examples. It makes it a little bit easier, obviously, because even if you're about to fall unconscious, we were we were giving you a chance to land softly. Technically, this is this is a little bit more ruthless. So I presume you will like it because you're you're a bloodthirsty one. Yes, viciousness. Anything that makes the game more vicious and spicy i embrace can you think of any examples yeah i remember a few times where we would pass the psr and then fail the consciousness and so what would result is the mech would just be standing there with the pilot unconscious in it <laughs> that's a fun one actually i i do remember that now yeah so i think that happened a few times and so did it really change the game? Like, I mean, so the pilot then didn't take a second hit. If he fell unconscious, he would automatically take the second pilot hit. So that saves the pilot hit. But generally, the worst thing about being unconscious is getting the minus four penalty when people are shooting you, right? Like, it just makes it so easy for people to shoot you. Yeah. Technically, I guess this helps because you'll be on the ground and you'll gain some some bonuses against people shooting you. Yeah, that's true. So technically, you maybe want to be on the ground, unless you're dead. Unless you're dead. 
ideally you want this to happen to you if you hadn't taken a head hit yet so the chance of you rolling and waking up soon is good because then you get a round of partial cover or not partial cover but you get a round of the prone cover and then you can get back up and run away whereas if you already had a pilot hit what are we rolling we're rolling a no i think that's seven up so maybe yeah well still you don't want to play with consciousness so long story short Doing this was making it easier for us in some ways and harder in other ways. But most importantly, it was just resulting in more rolls. Like it was sort of frustrating. I remember rolling all your PSRs, you're feeling good about yourself, then you just fall asleep in your mech. That just felt silly to me. It's like this day has been too stressful. I need a power nap. Ugh. <laughs> it is going to rob us though it's going to be much harder to end up unconscious in a standing mech and i i do i do have some memories of unconscious standing mechs and then watching you just sprint over and just try to push the mech over while the pilot was unconscious and there's going to be so many fewer chances to do that now <laughs> think about what we've lost yeah we've we've lost too much Think how much we've lost by learning the truth, Michael. The truth has not set us free. <laughs> Listen, it's painful, but it's right. <sighs> and isn't that the way Battletech was intended? Tertiary Objective. Stories of the Inner Sphere Segment. Initiating. Union C-Class dropship Obsidian Euroboros, en route to Natter Jump Point, Tukuyid. Free Rosselhog Republic, 18th of May, 3052. Defeat. The sky had been upended. The foundations of the world shattered. Reality had come untethered. The unthinkable had happened. What could never be had come to pass. The clans defeated. The battle lost. No. Not just the battle, the campaign, the war, everything. It was the end. Failure. In a pool of stale sweat and self-pity, mech warrior Friedrich sat slumped against the bulkhead and stared without seeing. The steel plate rattled erratically against his back as the dropship thundered through the atmosphere. A constant, nudging reminder of their loss. His stained cooling suit dropped open, half unzipped. Thatches of black hair clustered about his scalp in confused clumps. His useless fists closed on nothing and beat the futile air until he bit down on his knuckles to trap the scream forming there. Despair! In front of Friedrich, Star Commander Eric Mercer paced up and down and up and down their narrow quarters, all bottled rage and fizzing frustration. Friedrich blinked each time the Star Commander's pacing brought him close. But Eric was a meaningless smear in his vision and did nothing to distract from the ache constricting about his head, his chest, his heart. Eric's waving hands fought and refought imaginary battles as his endless pacing threatened to wear a groove in the cabin's deck plates. He stopped, 
before the two empty bunks and wiped his eyes as though to deny the sight. He whirled and gestured to the external view screen with the accursed dot of Tukayid fading from view, but not from memory. He tried to form words, but managed only to hiss and spit. <sighs> Humiliation. Willa had enough words for them all. She lay on her bunk, half undressed, one booted foot on the floor, one unbooted foot propped against the headboard, asking questions that had no answers. What happened? Why are we retreating? We are the clans. We are trueborn. We are the finest warriors humanity has ever produced. We are the sum total of generations of breeding and selection. We are the best. How could we lose? How could Star Captain Hartford let this happen? Where are Matthias and Joan? Where are our starmates? Why did we not fight and die with them? Where is our con? How could we lose to Freebirth? How could we lose to those frauds, usurpers, imposters? How could this happen? How could this happen? Willa's question sounded to Friedrich, like a snake-bitten woman begging for a medic. There's no antidote, no words that could heal this hurt. There was nothing to say. They had lost. That was the venom now coursing through their veins. They had lost. Finally, he took his hand from his mouth and said it. We lost. No, muttered Eric, still pacing. No, no, no. We didn't lose. We didn't. We didn't lose. We didn't. We're Clan Steel Viper. We couldn't have. At any other time, such language would have been shocking. Neither Friedrich nor Willa even noted Eric's lapse into contractions. Con Natalie Breen conceded defeat. Quiaf, Friedrich hesitantly pointed out. The truth? He did not know the truth. He half hoped the view screen lied that a call would come and they would lower the dropship's ramp and find they were still on Tukiyat and the battle, the battle, in capital letters, was not yet lost. Clan Steel Viper cannot have lost to a free birth rabble. Eric fumed. Willa is correct. There must be some other explanation. There is the planet. Friedrich sighed warily and waved a hand at the viewscreen. Alternative explanations were vanishing along with Tukiyet itself. The only way to heal a hurt was to admit you had been wounded. Observe how it gets smaller. We are retreating. No, no, and no! We must face reality, Stark Commander. Eric stopped pacing directly in front of Friedrich, squatted until his face was centimeters away, and thundered each word. We did not lose! The truth is, Eric grabbed Friedrich's open cooling suit in a fist, and for a moment, he was sure Eric was about to strike him. He did not know how he should react. In a way, a blow might be welcome. Exactly what he felt he deserved. 
or it might break the dam on his own reservoir of rage. Eric abruptly let go of him. Stood. The truth is just as you say, Star Commander. Friedrich murmured. He felt the anger drain from himself and lacked the energy to argue. What was the point? What was the point of anything anymore? What could they do? Devil's Bath, Tukuyid, Free Rosselhog Republic, 17th of May, 3052. The bass thud of autocannon and soprano whine of lasers were lost amid the industrious organ pipes of geothermal vents. Fumaroles howled and shrieked as gas fought to free itself from cracks in the ground. Mud pots and rainbow lakes multicolored by bacterial colonies bubbled and gurgled to themselves. Hissing vapor rose from the lake's surfaces in dragon shapes and curled serpentine about the Omnimex, blanketing the battlefield and cloaking them from view. The geyser seethed, grunted, and vomited gouts of water into the air, three times the height of a mech. The spume pattered down like a shower of applause, and armor grew wet and shiny. Black Knight on your left, Nova Star 3! Move, move, move! The air pulsed as a blast from a particle projectile cannon screamed just wide of Friedrich's cockpit barrel glass. The bolt detonated against a rock face, blasting a cone of debris that hammered in tympani excitement off his Nova's armor. Great shadows moved in the mist, giants wreathed in dragon's breath, sometimes lurching free, weapons flaring with sudden violence. It was chaos. There were enemies everywhere, blinding beams and comet-tailed missiles flying in every direction. All thought of honor and Zelbrigan lost in the half-blind hell they had fought through for two weeks. In desperation, Friedrich fired and fired and fired. Heat alarms, high-pitched and whining, scolded him. Another note in Bedlam's symphony. Hot orange spots on the Black Knight's armor glowed, visible even through the fog. His brief exultation was cut short as a burst of autocannon fire stitched down the Nova's left arm. Someone put some fire on that sentinel! On it! Matthias's viper arced overhead, superheated air from its jump jets boiling away the fog, and Friedrich's ferroglass canopy blacked out, polarizing against a sudden, intense glare. Imprinted on Friedrich's retinas, in the instant before the darkness, was an image of at least six PPC bolts and laser beams slamming into the viper in midair. When his view returned, the viper's left leg had been severed at the knee. It spun in a crazy pirouette, slammed headfirst into a basalt column, bounced off in a landslide of rock and gravel, and landed on its back. Matthias! Nova Star 4 is down! Cover him! Get the elementals to extract him! Friedrich hesitated. Whatever had brought Matthias down was still out there. Where is Maxine? No time. Another voice cut in. Jones Adder lunged past Friedrich on the right, blue lightning from her arm-mounted PPCs lashing the mist, answering fire whipsawed across her neck, staggering it sideways. Target acquired! 
Red icons sparkled across Friedrich's hut. Six more enemy battle mechs emerged from the mist. Weapons? Blazing. His targeting and tracking system identified three crabs, a lancelot, a thug, and the massive hulk of a highlander. Where did they come from? I thought we had them on the ropes. New unit. Check their insignia. Friedrich wanted to laugh. He wanted to cry. Two weeks. They'd been fighting non-stop for two weeks. Sleep was a distant memory. Food merely a passing acquaintance. Comfort a myth. An illusion. The one thought that had kept him going, kept him moving, kept him fighting, was it cannot last much longer. There had to be a limit to how much punishment these calm guards could take. There had to be. And yet, there were always more of them, seeming to emerge from the ground like soldiers springing up from the proverbial dragon's teeth. The Highlander's Gow's rifle cracked and roared. The slug blew a cyclone in the mist with the force of its passage. Cord Jones at her, skewered it, punching through the cockpit before exiting in a gaping wound out the back. The mech rocked back and settled on its knees, probably remaining upright. Friedrich took a step back and then another, firing wildly now in every direction at anything that moved. What do we do? He pleaded. What do we do? Union C-class dropship Obsidian, Euroboros, en route to Natter Jump Point. Took it. Free Rosselhog Republic. 19th of May, 3052. Friedrich sought refuge in the familiar and the comfortable. Refuge from Eric's seething and unpredictable rage. Refuge from Willa's unanswerable questions. In any event, nobody had been assigned duties, so there's nothing to do but brood on what had happened. Pick at it like an open wound. So, the familiar, the comfortable. Friedrich climbed down into the bowels of the dropship and sought out his Omnimech. The three surviving machines were entombed in steel gantries and shrouded in serpentine loops of power cables, coolant tubes, and lubricant feeds. Friedrich's Nova stood in its cradle, and beside it, Willa's Summoner and Eric's Mad Dog. The open graves of two more cradles stood hollow and empty beyond them. The mechs, steel gray and red paint, was scored and pitted from laser beams, missile hits, and autocannon rounds. The chief technician, Eva, watched over a crew of lesser technicians from a booth set high in the mech bay's wall, level with the ten-meter-high Omnimechs. She leaned over a bank of monitors, dense with status reports, and twirled the plastic stylus idly in one hand. Steel Viper training was even tougher than in other clans, which made for a smaller warrior caste, but also for a greater number of trueborns among the civilian caste through the vast number of washouts. Eva had been his Sibkin not so long ago, and more than that, his sometimes lover during Sibco training. Her back was to him, and she looked over her shoulder when she heard Friedrich approach, and she grimaced a little and went back to her work. He stood just behind her shoulder while she ignored him and contented himself watching the technicians putter about the deck below. 
Nobody seemed in any great rush to do anything. The technicians stood or sat in lumps of two or three, sometimes just talking, others half-heartedly stripping away damaged armor plates or hauling about great loops of myomer musculature. One of them dropped a cement plate with a clank. Two of the others looked over, shrugged, went back to talking. How bad is it? Friedrich asked at last, trying to keep his tone light. Eva did not answer, only grunted and frowned at the terminal while tapping the stylus against her front teeth. The silence stretched. Friedrich felt his temper stretch with it. Technician Eva, I asked you a question. He repeated more firmly. With a sudden snap, Eva slammed the stylus down, hard enough to break the plastic in half. The point went spinning past Friedrich's face, close enough to make him blink and flinch. Work on the mech bay floor stopped. A dozen heads craned up toward the sound. Friedrich scowled down at them and looked back at Eva, her viper eyes bored into his. Minor damage. She bit out the words, her lip curled into a sneer. Friedrich frowned, not understanding the hostility, and struggled to master the answering venom he felt rising to his lips. All three of you, Eva spat, minor damage. And then Friedrich understood. He felt himself stiffen and flush. The con ordered... Oh, well, why do you not say so? That is quite understandable, then. You forget yourself. Of course. How could I, a mere lowly technician, dare criticize the brave and mighty mech warrior returning from battle with three whole scratches on his armor? You forfeit any right to criticize a warrior when you washed out of training, technician Eva. Washed out? I am glad I washed out. Better a technician than a weakling or coward. The whole cluster is Desgra now. Forever tainted. The whole galaxy, the entire Toman, washed out. I would rather have died than live to see this day. Ryderick reached for her arm, but she angrily and easily thrust it aside. Then, his cheek was stinging. She had slapped him. Eva had hit him. A technician hit a mech warrior. What the? This was not some petty trial. This was it. Bam. Another hit. She was screaming at him now. The battle for Terra. Bam. The chance to fulfill our destiny. Bam. His cheek was going numb. Everything the clan has been working towards for 200 years. Bam! And you came crawling back with barely a dent in your armor. She drew her hand back again. It was not like that, he protested, catching her wrist hearing the whine in his own voice, hating himself for protesting, for being so weak that protest was necessary. That is not what happened. Was it not? Eva yanked her hand free and stood there her breath coming in furious rasps, still poised to strike. Then tell me, explain it to me, for I am but a simple, stupid, washed-out technician. What did 
happen. Friedrich stood facing her in silence for a long time. Devil's Bath, Tukiyit, Free Rosselhog Republic, 17th of May, 3052. Eric screamed and charged his mad dog toward the Highlander. Friedrich gaped in astonishment. It was insane. The Highlander was half again the mad dog's mass. It was worse than insane. Physical combat was dishonorable, just plain wrong, unclan. The calm guard's mech warrior realized what Eric was doing and tried to backpedal. The Highlander's back foot plunged into a mud pot, unbalancing the mech. A few seconds wasted, but it was enough. The mad dog's right weapon pod caught the Highlander just below the cockpit, crumpling the chest armor. The assault mech's colossal mass worked against it now, throwing it hopelessly off balance and toppling it backward into bubbling, seething mud. Sank head first under the surface, legs still thrashing weakly. With the fall of their heaviest unit, the ambushing battle mechs began to creep back, fading into the white shadows, cloaking themselves in mist. A crab moved between Friedrich and the rest of the comm guards, covering their comrade's retreat. Friedrich fired on the crab, riddled it with holes, advanced, fired, blasted the left arm free, blew apart a knee. The mech warrior gamely tried to raise their right arm laser and hit back, but a laser from Friedrich's left arm weapon pod lanced through its heart. As the crab's fusion reactor guttered and failed, the machine pitched to the ground. Friedrich brought a foot down on the mech's back, pinned it there. Maxine's elemental swarmed the downed mech, the battle-armored infantry tearing open its head to get at the mech warrior inside. Friedrich gasped for breath in the furnace of his cockpit, exhilarated and terrified in equal measures, heartbeat singing in his ears. Eric's voice was also in his ears, urging them on. At last, the tide was turning, Last. All units, this is Khan Natalie Breen. New orders. All units are to fall back to the drop zone. Disregard all previous orders or objectives. Disengage from enemy forces and fall back to the dropships immediately. What? Matthias's viper lay in pieces at the foot of a basalt column. The head of Jones Adder? was a shattered ruin. The enemy was pulling back, giving ground. They were at the edge of the Badlands. Open country lay ahead. Repeat, all units are to withdraw immediately. Friedrich stared at the speaker in disbelief and mouthed several curses to himself in the privacy of his cockpit before speaking. Star Commander, is this real? Authentic? Is it some subterfuge of the enemy? The authenticity is confirmed. Eric sounded as if he spoke through clenched teeth. But why? To regroup, resupply, lure the calm guards into an ambush? I do not know. What do we do? Eric took his time before answering. It must be a mistake, he said. Advance. The Khan is ordering us all to pull back. Friedrich protested. 
Star Commander, we must pull back. Eric mumbled acknowledgement and killed the channel. Friedrich reversed his Nova a step and pivoted, beginning to retrace their path back through the frothing pools and vents. Eric didn't follow immediately. His mad dog sat, staring in the direction the comm guards had gone. Friedrich could almost see the thoughts roiling through his commander's mind. It is not too late. If we move now, push ourselves to the limit, we might still catch the enemy. Star Commander? The mad dog stood at the edge of a vent, about three meters wide. Two meters below the lip, water frothed, bubbled and churned. Thick clouds of steam fumed upward, hot and damp. A pulse of water bulged and rose toward the lip of the vent. It surged, burst, and blew skyward. It could not damage their mechs, though. All that rose was a plume of steam, just hot air, a pillar of insubstantial nothing, a faint hot drizzle that quickly dried, leaving no trace behind. Eric turned his mech around and plodded after Friedrich and Willa. Union C-Class dropship Obsidian Euroboros, en route to Zenith Jump Point. Tukiyit, Free Rosselhug Republic, 19th of May, 3052. The survivors of the supernova filtered into the dropship's briefing room. Friedrich nodded in greeting to some of the others, including Point Commander Maxine, leader of the Elementals in Eric's Nova. But it felt strained and awkward, and they could not meet each other's eyes. Friedrich hurriedly sat to avoid any further interaction. There were a number of empty seats, but fewer than he expected. Perhaps a quarter in total. He saw the others looking about too, and the same thought was written on everyone's faces. Our losses were not so many. Star Captain Paula Hartford entered, strode down the aisle between the warriors, without a glance or pause to the podium at the front of the room. She placed a note pewter on the podium and clamped her hands on either side. She took a breath. Well, she began and stopped, looked down at her note pewter, coughed. <clears throat> well, she tried again. The supernova's warriors sat unmoving, faces glaucous and glassy as a windless sea. The air circulator rattled and rattled and rattled. Waves of sounds on a rocky shore. Friedrich wished someone would speak. Anyone. He looked left, saw Eric Mercer sitting with his arms folded, frown marring his face. Willa's eyes were downcast, her expression as blank as the surface of the desk. And she did not look at the star captain. She shook her head. Just once just a little, and was still again. I, ah, uh, well, I have a recorded message from Star Colonel Brett Andrews. Hartford said at last, and tapped a button on her note pewter. A black screen behind her brightened, and shadows resolving into the Star Colonel's bearded features. His hands were clasped on a plain metal desk, a look of sadness, and paternal concern on his face, a 
perhaps a touch of steel about the eyes and brow. He looked both touchingly vulnerable, and yet somehow indestructible. Warriors of the Fourth Viper Guards, Andrews began. I know many of you will be feeling discouraged by the course of the battle. First of all, let me say how proud, how very, very proud I am of all of you. Friedrich's eyebrows tried to climb to the top of his head. He felt as though he stood at the edge of an ocean. The Star Colonel's words were at once shallow and yet contained hidden depths. Things left unsaid. They washed over Friedrich and threatened to drown him. Pride. Yes, he wanted to be told the clan was proud of him, that they had not failed. It was exactly what he needed to hear, but at the same time he felt unworthy of such praise. Ashamed, even. There was a slight rustle from some seats. Out of the corner of his eye, Friedrich saw Willa's head jerk up. Yes, proud. Andrews went on, nodding voice growing louder and more assured. The failure of other clans cannot take away the fact that we are returning undefeated from the battlefield. We fought well, and there is no shame in our withdrawal. We pulled back in good order and with discipline after inflicting severe losses upon the enemy. Your skill and bravery remain unmatched by anything the inner sphere could throw at you. No enemy has vanquished you. Friedrich reached up and found tears in his eyes. He felt, he felt, everything, every emotion, relief, sorrow, guilt, tearing him in every direction. Their struggle had been acknowledged, yes, but it still had not been enough. Then why? The accusation rang out like a gunshot. Friedrich closed his eyes and winced. Willa. Of course, it had been Willa. She was on her feet, hands balled into fists, a burning beacon of outrage. Take your seat, mech warrior. Hartford snapped. On the screen behind her, the recording of Andrews continued, oblivious. No, it was clear there were failures in the leadership of both the clans as a whole and of our clan. There were mistakes and misjudgments, some innocent, yet perhaps others less so. It is clear that time spent in the inner sphere has not been without consequence. But I promise you this, we will find those responsible and deal with them and emerge stronger than ever. This battle is not yet done. Our destiny cannot be thwarted. Willa remained on her feet, still arguing with the star captain. I will not be seated, not until we've a satisfactory answer. We were not beaten by the comm guards. We just heard the star colonel say so himself. We were undefeated. Those were his words, star captain. We could have fought. We could have won. We would have won. Why instead are we retreating like sniveling surrats? Hartford tapped another button, freezing Andrews in mid-sentence. Well, Gamma Galaxy was... She began, and stopped. She tried again. The ammunition, I mean. With the defeat of the smoke jaguars and diamond sharks, the strategic situation was becoming 
Excuses. Another day, maybe two, and we would have broken them. There were murmurs of agreement. Despite the insubordination, Willa's voice turned from strident to accusing. Unless, the star colonel just said, Our leaders failed us. He said some did so on purpose. Perhaps he meant you, star captain. More voices were rising in a babble. How can we face our clan again? The Jaguars fought to the last warrior. I heard the wolves and ghost bears are still fighting. He said the battle was not yet done. Eric was nodding, pounding his desk. Maxine was neutral, perhaps thoughtful. You know nothing of the big picture, mech warrior. Hartford bristled coldly. None of you do. Enough to spot your cowardice, Willa shot back. We could have disobeyed the Khan. We could have fought. Cowardice? You go too far. Do you wish a trial of grievance, Willa? Willa fell silent, looking petulant, yet still defiant. Neg, she said, and mumbled something else. What? Traitors do not deserve a trial. The words were spoken to Willa's feet, but they hung icily clear in the air. There were gasps, a few shocked chuckles. Willa had crossed the line now. Maybe even Serkai wouldn't be enough. She would be packed off to a garrison cluster at best. Maybe a Salama suicide unit. If the star captain did not force a trial and just killed her. Either way, Willa's career was done. Her bloodline ended. Hartford's eyes found Eric. Star Commander Mercer, if you value your position, control your subordinate. No. Eric rose to stand beside Willa, his arms crossed against his chest. No, I do not think I will. I too heard the Star Colonel's words, both those spoken and those left unspoken. He spoke of failure and betrayal. I do not take orders from a traitor. You as well. I see the poison has spread. A traitor. A traitor, is it? Very well. If that is how you want it, this is beyond a trial of grievance. This is mutiny. Quiaf? Star Commander Maxine. Hartford addressed the elemental. Star Commander Mercer and Mech Warrior Willa have evidently become psychiatric cases. Remove them from the briefing room and escort them to their quarters. They will be confined there until their sentencing. Maxine sprang to her feet with a speed that belied her size, like a volcanic cone erupting from a peaceful plain. In two quick strides, she was at Willa's side. She laid a massive hand on Willa's shoulder, easily engulfing it in her palm. Star Captain, Maxine said. Her voice was the trumpet, brassy and challenging. I would also like to hear the answer to Willa's questions. The Star Captain froze. She and the Elemental locked gazes. The Star Captain in open-mouthed amazement. The Elemental in grim solidity. Hartford was the first to look away, shaking her head. So be it. 
I've tried to soften the sting of defeat, and this is how I'm repaid? This trinary will be less than Desgra, stricken from ever from the rolls. On your heads be it. This briefing is ended. Dismissed! Friedrich was gathering himself to stand, when he noticed nobody else had moved. So he quickly sat back down in his chair. He was thankful. All eyes were on Willa and the Star Captain. Nobody seemed to have noticed. If we were unvanquished, then why did we retreat? Willa demanded again. Dismissed. If we were undefeated, why did you and, and Galaxy Commander Ahmed and, and, and the Khan betray us? Dismissed. Still, no one moved. Shaking with rage, Hartford tucked her notepewter under one arm and began stamping back down the aisle, only to find Maxine blocking her way. She visibly seethed and fumed at the elemental, but the effect was lost as her eyes barely came up to Maxine's collarbone. Maxine sniffed dismissively. Hartford was forced to edge sideways around her before stalking from the room. The room erupted in celebration the moment the door slid shut behind her. Everyone was on their feet. There were whoops, whistles, fists punched in the air. Friedrich slowly stood, clapping weakly, until Maxine jovially pounded him on the back and sent him sprawling. Your pardon, she grinned, extending a hand to haul him upright again. I forgot how frail you mech warriors are sometimes. What happens now? Friedrich asked once he was vertical. We turn this dropship around, Willis said immediately. We go back and finish the fight. What about the crew? Good point, Eric nodded. They are mostly technician or laborer caste, not true warriors. They will not understand. We do not need their understanding, Maxine growled smacking a fist into her open palm. Only their compliance. And the star captain? Friedrich asked weakly. His head was spinning like he was in a whirlpool. Whether from being knocked down by Maxine or something else, couldn't say. It was all happening too fast. It is she who must be confined to quarters, Eric said. Otherwise, who knows what lies she will tell the star colonel or galaxy commander about us. We should not have allowed her to leave. She will try to turn them against us. We must move quickly. He snapped his fingers. To the bridge. Friedrich was swept along by the crowds as all the mech warriors and elementals burst out of the briefing room and into the corridor outside in a tidal wave of shouts and cheers. Their way was blocked by five armed men in dropship crew overalls. On one hip, they each carried a stun stick. On the other, a laser pistol. One of them raised his hand. Warriors, I'm afraid I must ask you all to return to your quarters. It was true. He did look afraid. His eyes kept drifting to Maxine and the other elementals. Orders, he shrugged half apologetic. The star captain's orders. Willow was already at the front and wasted no time stepping forward almost close enough to touch the crewman took a step back, hand fumbling blindly for his weapon. Would you follow the orders of one of the dark cast? Willis snapped. Would you obey the word of a bandit? 
The man's eyes pleaded for understanding. He looked past Willa to Eric and Maxine with their rank insignia, his expression fragile and desperate. Look, this is not what I want. Can we not resolve this? There can be no negotiation with traitors, Willa yelled before either Eric or Maxine could respond. The crewman jumped at the thunderclap of her voice, reflexively drawing his pistol. Give me that, Stravag! Willa grabbed for the gun. The man jerked his hand back. Bright cerulean light pulsed. Willa was falling. Friedrich caught her, eased her to the deck. With a snarl, Maxine bounded over them, clamped a hand about the crewman's neck, lifted him from his feet, and slammed him against the wall. She easily plucked the laser pistol from his hands, tossed it aside. The man was crying, blubbering, saying, Forgive me! Forgive me! Over and over, Maxine shook him and rammed his head against the wall until he was silent. Willa was trying to speak too. Friedrich bent over her, ear next to her mouth. She whispered, her breath like the wind over grass, trailing fingers of nothing over his face, her frightened butterfly hands tugging at his uniform. He caught only one word, only one. Undefeated. She smiled and grew still. Friedrich laid her down and closed her eyes. There was a hand on his shoulder. He tracked it up to Eric's face, looking neither saddened nor angry, but almost eager, eyes shining in anticipation. You see, Eric said to the others, you see the depths the star captain has fallen to. She is willing to murder her own warriors. Can there be any more doubt as to the righteousness of our cause? The other dropship crew members had gone pale. One unbuckled his belt letting his pistol and stun stick fall, and the other four followed in quick succession. Where is Captain Hartford? Maxine growled. The man pinned to the wall and he shook his head. Another jerked a thumb upward toward the ceiling. Her quarters! Eric nodded, retrieved the laser pistol from the deck, then turned and pressed the pistol into Friedrich's hand. Take this. Reluctantly? Friedrich curled his hand about the grip. It was a dull silver thing, heavier than it looked, the long barrel tapering to a narrow point. What should I do? What you have to. Eric patted him once on the shoulder. Your duty. Why me? Now that Willa is gone, you are the only one I trust to do the job. What about Maxine? Maxine and I are heading to the bridge. Eric paused. You understand why we need to do this, Quiaf? You heard Star Colonel Andrews. She's a traitor, Friedrich, an enemy of the clan. She must be stopped. Another pause. You do not wish Willa to have died for nothing, Quiaf. Matthias and Joan? Ah, I do not. We cannot back down. We have come too far to give up now. I... Friedrich swallowed hard. I think... We are almost there, Friedrich. Only this one last thing, and then all will be right again. Friedrich nodded. He had to believe that. He had to. Otherwise, he could not retreat or back down. 
Not again. This has been an excerpt from Undefeated written by Giles Gamage. It can be found in Shrapnel, the official Battletech magazine, issue number 10. Make sure to check it out and experience its tone-setting conclusion. What a ride, Mech Warriors! Another day, another episode of Bungle Tech failing PSRs through. As a quick note, your reviews on the podcast platform you listen on help us spread the word, and we super appreciate reading them. Take a minute out of your day and write us a review if you have a chance. Also, remember, if you want to chat, you can find us on Twitter at BungleTechTweet, via email at bungletechatoutlook.com, or in our booth of the welcoming Valhalla Club's Discord, linked in the description. And, as an additional final reminder, make sure you get that survey in before October 15th, 2023. We really want to hear what you guys have to say, and we're really excited to review the results. Until next time, Mech Warriors, good fortunes on the battlefield. Selah. All podcast objectives complete. Podcast shutdown sequence initiated. <laughs>